Welcome along to the Craggy Rugby Podcast. I'm Rob Murphy, just here to introduce this week's show, a special episode, a sit-down interview with Dave Ellis. William Davis and Lindley McKenzie from the podcast sat down with Dave Ellis, the former Connick skills coach, over Christmas before he returned to New Zealand to talk about his time in the province and that great run to the Pro 12 title. This is well worth a listen. Hope you enjoy. Dave, you're very welcome along. Cheers. Good to be here. <laughs> um... How did, how did you come to Connacht? How, uh, and what did you know about Connacht before you came here? Um, to be fair, I knew very little about Connacht before I came here. Everybody in New Zealand knows all about Munster and, and Leinster, for example, but not a lot about Connacht. Um, I came here basically after a meeting with Pat in New Zealand, um, and he was telling me what he was doing. I was off on another venture at the time, so I couldn't commit straight away. And then I heard from Pat, and here I am. And is what what did you expect when when you came, or had Pat given you a really a good idea, or did he sort of say to you, "Come along and, and see what it's like"? Uh, yeah, a little bit of both, really. Like he he kind of indicated to me it was a pretty enthusiastic bunch of guys that wanted to do something, um, which appealed to me. Um, you know, at the time, it was a great summer, and Pat, most of his conversations were about how great the summer was here. <laughs> I was in Australia at the time, so I was a bit sceptical. <laughs> Okay, so he he sold you on a good summer. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. rugby these days is the the there's coaches, uh, forwards coaches, backs coaches, kicking coaches, and it's very it's very easy to understand what they do. Not not how not how they do it. But define for me, you're the skills coach. What 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 is how do you define that role? Um, to me, a skills coach is in charge of everything. All the little details that help the head coaches put together the, the, the whole plan. So if they want to play the ball to wide channels, for example, then to do that you need to be able to pass accurately and quickly. So then that would be a skill that needs to be trained. So my job is putting the little bits into the big plan that the coaches have. That's how I see a skills coach. And For me, and I'm, I might be a little bit different to some skills coaches around, um, that covers all elements of the game. Um, the only thing I would keep away from would be the dark arts of a scrum and things like that. When you, when you came and when you when when you come to to deal with players coming in, does it frighten some of maybe the older players? You know, this this guy's coming and he's as you say the dark arts. They understand what the other coaches do, and you're coming along and you're going to maybe try to upskill them. And do some of the the more grizzled veterans do they, do they do they get a bit twitchy? Do they think what what's what, what's this guy going to do? How's how, where am I going to be put onto the spotlight? Uh, yeah, possibly. Maybe you'd have to ask Mull and some of those guys about that one. But um, for me, my experience here hasn't been like that. The boys have been um, pretty open to to anything that's been going on, and I think it's reflected in their game um, in recent times. So, but yeah, there is a little bit of uh, well, let's see what this guy's got to offer, you know. And if if you can make a couple of things that sound sense, you're usually okay. So it's like anybody. I think you need to get your audience engaged and and uh, and make sense with whatever comes out of your mouth, I suppose. And a lot of that is to do with encouraging encouragement to to say to them, you can improve. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We're never too never too old to learn. As we all say, and um, yeah, and that's a key part of, of, of how I see things. Because just in my own personal life, I'm always growing. I, I learn as much from the players as the players learn from me. Um, and the the way I do my skills coaching, it's always a two way street. I try not to be a teller um, because the players, the game changes season from from one season to another. The game changes. There's different aspects of the game, different rules. And the boys are living it now as opposed to the game that I played, you know, years ago. Yeah. Um, if, do you use gamification? Does, is, that one of the, 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 is that one of the ways you set up, that you're trying to bring elements in that are game elements, but you're doing them outside of a game structure? Uh, you mean like gameplay in, in, a, in a training environment? Yes, yes. Um, that's part of the process. That's... Yeah, that can be a little bit confusing though for players. So it's, it's any game that you do it must have complete relevance, 
and often my side of it would be the key parts of that game would be more what I would focus on as opposed to the game itself. Often a lot of coaches will have their own favourite games that they like to do, which will have elements of detail in it, and I see my role as, as assisting with that detail or, or just just being another set of eyes to make sure that the details perform correctly while the coach is running a drill or, or, or a game. So, yeah, well, games are part of it. It's, it's not the be-all and end-all. It's, part, it's the, probably the end of a process that would start from a, an isolated incident, incident worked into a small mini-unit um, situation before progressing to a, a game, which is like a random environment, which anything can happen, really, which is great for decision-making and things like that. Uh, when you're do, when you're doing that, you do you always work with another coach, or sometimes do you do you take a session and then you bring the players are bringing what you've done into a, f a bigger coaching session with another coaching part of the coaching system? Yeah, yeah, often. So I, I'll have um, for here, for example, I do have skill blocks, which are just myself and the boys. Um, I have ran, uh, individual skill blocks that the players book in and we see each other and we, we go over match footage and we work from there into whatever the issue might be. Um, and then I'll bring those drills. Often I'll talk with the other coaches. Like we might have an incident coming against a certain opposition that, that we see that there is a way that we can exploit that opposition but we need to be able to perform it in this manner or that manner. And then I'll get out the pencil and figure out a way that we can do that. And... Um, then I'll bring that into a, in a into a closed training environment, which then we'll bring into a bigger training environment later. So, so you do one on ones, and then you might do all of the back row, or yeah, yeah, whatever. It, it could be, or there could be half a dozen boys with a tackle issue, or um, some passing issue, or the the halfbacks might come in, or things like that. So I'll work with those groups as well, or one on one if they want it. And and is some of that in, on a generalised basis for a season? So we say they're just trying to improve at a position in the season, or you've alluded to there if you're playing a specific opposition. If you've spotted a weakness in team A that you're playing next week, can you say to a scrum half, "I want you to look at this, and we want to see if we can use this skill to get past." what they're doing there. Yeah, that, that sort of thing. That That's definitely collaboration with the other coaches because we're all looking over the footage of, of our opposition. We all, we're all doing the analysis of the opposition, just looking at different things. So, for example, um, we might find this is where we need to exploit. How do we do it? Where do we do that bit of discussion? Maybe we need to be able to throw this sort of a pass or, or run that sort of a line, and then we'll just bring it into, into the sessions. And is part of what you're doing, if it's something that's maybe that a player isn't doing at the moment, are you sort of encouraging them uh, and saying you, you, you need to improve? Or are you sort of giving them the idea that they, that they might improve? Are you actually driving them or do you want them to actually say, yeah, I think I need to improve on this? Um, actually, it's a two-way street, that one. Sometimes you have to say, look, if you want to play for Ireland or something like that, for example, you need to be able to do X, Y, or Z. Uh, we might even get that feedback ourselves from the Irish coaches. Um, a lot of the times the boys will come to me, they'll identify weaknesses in their games. The, the boys, particularly the Connick boys here, are wonderful at that sort of thing. They're open and honest, and it's a pretty easy conversation we have. Um, in the perfect world, I want every player that ever runs out on the field to be able to pass off both hands, kick off both feet and do all that sort of thing. So that's my expectations. Um, but I also understand that that might not necessarily meet the expectations that they want. You're talking there about the, the, the player, this is player-driven, and Pat talks about player-driven. Was it like that when you started here, or did you have to introduce a culture of the players coming to you and it looking to improve? Uh, I suppose elements of it were. Um, I think that you'd have to do that in any environment, it's particularly, I think, if you're coming into a new environment, you have to establish some sort of, um, not rules, because I hate using that word, but some sort of a structure that makes everybody comfortable, that it is, becomes, you know, might start one way and end up another later down the track. Like I have, um, for example, I have boys will come to me now and they'll say, I want to do this, or I see this in my game as something that we can do, and I go, oh, I never saw that, let's, okay, let's have a look. You know, we'll work something from there. So, yeah, it does become... The players are the ones that have to play it. 
So if we can make what they do become more instinctive, uh, as opposed to um, you know regimented, then I think then we're growing players. And if we can grow players who can think for themselves and operate for themselves and take responsibility of what they do, then that's that to me that's a successful regime, uh, as opposed to a team that you know the moment you walk out the door they crumble because they have no idea what to do anymore. So, so you're looking for a thinking player who's, who's thinking uh, yeah. who's thinking about his training and maybe nutrition, whatever they're doing. But when they get on the pitch, they have to be able. You don't want robots. You're looking exactly. for somebody who can actually read a situation and or does that involve making a change? If if they see someone that's different, can they, do you want them to change what the pattern that they're playing? I oh, yeah, I, I do. I, I think to me that's that's bringing. That's that's next level type of type of stuff, you know, and it's I consider the responsibility of any coach, whether it's a skills coach or any of the others, that we our responsibility is to the player to make them a better player, and if it means that making them better at making decisions on the fly and be able to change the game, uh, then that's that's success. There are there will be other elements of the game where they're probably not put under those same stresses that they have to necessarily make rapid decisions, and that might be more of a collaborative. Um, if, for example, a scrum can't work if one guy thinks he's going to do this because he thinks it's better for the team, and the other seven guys are doing something completely different, you know. And you're saying there that uh, that that's part of the coaching, but you also want the players to take that the, you you constantly want them to improve. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. I, I think we've only scratched the surface, and not only in this team but in world rugby. I, I think we we still. I, I look at other sports and. You know, you don't go to, um, you wouldn't go to a basketball game, for example, and expect the guy to to hit four out of ten shots, would you? You know, like he's mm. expected to nail those shots. You know, a, a gymnast who, who does a double somersault and, and all the, the fancy stuff lands on her feet, that's successful, lands on her head, she's dead. You know, so the players need to perform to a level and understand that that's what we expect from them. If other other professional sports can do this, then for for rugby itself to grow even further, is they need to have that level of expectation amongst themselves. I'm not, you know, general public are happy to see a good game of rugby, but the player should always be striving to get better, no matter who they are. And is 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 that is it crucial then that the organisation that they're playing with is going in the same direction? Can players become frustrated if they feel that? An organisation isn't isn't that they just want the wins, and the the players are sort of saying, "Well, I w- I would like to try this." Is 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 that coming? Are the younger players pushing harder for that? Is that more than something that they're used to? No, I don't. I don't think it is. I, I think, um, I think it's still a new way of thinking. You know, I think it's still a way of look. It all, a, lot of, a lot of it comes down to the school system too. You know, if they've come out of a school where it's um, uh, either teacher is X, Y, Z, this is X, Y, Z, this is how it's going to happen, boys, and away you go, as opposed to a, maybe a totally different schooling system where it's all uh, peace, love and good vibes, you know, and you figure your way through life and all that sort of thing. It's finding that, like I've worked with students in, in different countries and young people in different countries who have totally different ways of learning, mm. and and I see, I just see coaching the same way. So if the organisation is going one way, I think you'd probably find it's a general feeling of the of the environment you're in. Mm. It's not necessarily that the players are thinking one thing and the organisation's thinking another, if you know what I mean. So you, you, your job is to help gel that then? Yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, I guess. My job's to make the players better and, and, and also to love the game. Um, you know, I've played this game since I was three years old mm. and, I've, and I love the game. And I don't want to disrespect the game in any way by um, doing it in a, a disservice, I guess. And I want the players to get the same feeling. Looking at the way you set up um, for a specific skill, do you sort of start with a, 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 be, a beginner level? That there's a certain level, I, I want them to do this, and then you're trying to move it forward in incremental stages. Yeah, yeah that's perfect. Progression is the way to do, and never assume. That's one thing I've learned too. Never assume just because you 
think somebody can do something, you need to verify that first. And I find <coughs> yeah, skill development's all about a progression for me. And um, and we we do bare bone basics. And that's successful teams that I've been involved with or environments that I've seen and witnessed have all done the bare bone basics really well. And if you do that really well, then everything else falls in behind that. Uh, there's there's probably people out there who probably listen to this and think that we do rocket, that we're doing something miraculous. Every day I have to pinch myself to think, well, this makes pretty common sense to me. Why isn't everybody doing it? But yeah, the progression has to start from the basic level. You can't jump a level. Every time you jump a level, you're, you're gonna, it's going to come back and bite you in the backside later on. Um, it, and the beauty about doing progressive training situations or progressive skill organisations is if a player makes a mistake, he only has to go back a step to fix it. Whereas if you miss a step, that player will never know how to fix his issue. So if it's an on-field issue, throws a bad pass, for example, he can turn around to the other guy and tell him he, he, he's useless at catching it. <laughs> or he could think to himself, OK, the other day we did this activity, I must release with this hand in such a certain way or something. So he's got a way of fixing it himself. So we're making a self-fixing player out there as well. So which comes back to what we were saying before, the players making decisions and altering the game, how, how it suits. And if, if a, let's say a player has got to, got to one level, do you then say, right, it's time to, I want to move this up now, I expect you to do this quicker, or I expect you to do it better, I, I want to add another 10% of accuracy to what you're doing, or is that, is that how you define it, or does it just become a more a natural progression? Um, a bit of both. Sometimes it becomes a natural progression for the more natural athlete. Uh, others, you need to kind of push the envelope a little bit harder to try and bring things along a little bit more. But there's, there's, there's so many different variables you can use to, <coughs> to change an activity and to challenge a person. Like, <coughs> I do this when I, when I train small children in the past. You push them to a level but never break them. If you break them, you've lost them forever. So you push them to a level that challenges them, come back again the next day, try and just go a little bit further past that level, whether it's through, I do all sorts of weird things, um, whether it's, you know, you're wearing a blindfold, whether you've got an eye patch on, whether I'm putting coloured cards in front of you, whether I'm asking you to make decisions under pressure while I'm talking to you, while I'm having guys hit you with tackle bags or, or whatever it might be. So you challenge them in any way until you almost break them and then you stay there for a while and then you start from that level and increments. That's, that's my progressive style that I would do. So you work from a, a closed environment to an open environment to a randomised environment. And if you plan it well and the players are on board, which the boys are here, mm. then you usually get the results. And if they do something in a game and it, it doesn't work, is that where they need the confidence to actually say, right, I'm going to go back and I'm going to do more at this and I'm going to try it again. You, you don't want them to just say, I can't do that. Oh, definitely. I don't like the word can't. <laughs> you know, sure you can. You just need to work a bit harder at it, you know. And, um, yeah, but we might, might have to take a different approach. You know, one method might not be working. Maybe they need to... Sometimes it's a visual thing, so they might need more, more um, analysis and looking at the footage of, the, of their match as opposed to actually physically doing something, you know, maybe they need <clears throat> to be an adjustment in their body shape or anything like that, you know, so then we'll come back to that. Do, do we, does, is every player an individual then in how you teach them? Does everybody have different, you can't just say that worked for that player, so I'm going to teach you exactly the same way. Do you have to interact with people in a different way? Yeah, yeah, you do, I, I believe. Uh, often the boys are fairly similar because they've all come from very similar backgrounds or whatnot like that. Um, but maybe, yeah, it might be, maybe it's just a word. It's just an expression or just how you might talk to that one person. But you can usually generalise. Like I'll always have, and most coaches that I would be aware would have a general way of doing something that they like. It works for them in the past, so they'll, they'll stick to that. Um, but the good coaches are the ones that have that, but then adapt it and go out, draw outside the lines every once in a while to try and finish at the same result. And 
Does the, do you ever come across a player? I, I, you just said you don't like the word can't, so I'm going to say, do you ever come, come, come across a player who um, simply hasn't got it? Or can, any, can everybody be improved? I think everybody can be improved. Not necessarily all of them will succeed. Um, and sometimes, yeah, you get the odd person that's got two left feet, I suppose. Or, um, um, But I think you can always improve them and you can always still, in, in my case, I'd like to still give them a love for the game or a love for what they do. Um, I've had some challenges. <laughs> Not here. I've had challenges in the past. But often it comes, that's more so comes down to the character of the person as opposed to what we're actually trying to achieve. You know, some people have a negative attitude towards things or some people don't want to work hard enough. Because it is work. You know, this doesn't just happen. So they have to work at it. So what's more important? Mental attitude or skill sets? Or natural talent as... The question was Natural the talent will get you so far, but at the end you've got to put you roll up your sleeves and do the work. I believe to get better at skills. And when you've looked at all the players that you have coached in the past, are those players been the naturally talented ones or the ones with both talent and and the desire to improve? Good question. Um, actually, there's been some that that have been pushed onto the rubbish heap. But once you get to talk to them, you realise that they have a wonderful desire to get better. And I believe all those players have got better with, with work. And do we know any of these players in particular? Um, no, not really. A lot of those guys I've worked with in the past. What I will say about the boys here in Connacht, work ethic is wonderful. A desire to get better has been wonderful. And that's not only the boys that were with Connacht when I first got here, but also for the boys that have, have, have recently arrived and turned in and just become part of the group. I think we have a learning environment here. It's driven by Pat. that it, it, We're a learning team. We don't just play the game, we learn about the game. And, and that's pushed through all the, all the boundaries of coaching. So I think... Um, uh, but the players need to have that desire to do it, and the boys here have that in spades. And can you attribute that for any reason why Connacht is so different? Is it because that Connacht have always been that Cinderella, that weakest province, that the lads who come here, you know, they, they have a, a greater desire and a greater ambition to prove that they, they're not second best? Yeah, I, I think so. Like, I've, you know, like history's been pretty hard on Connacht and people's opinions are quite rough on us, I think, and unjustified in many aspects. You know, and I think that motivator is a great motivator. You know, I've I've worked with teams in the past that have been full of misfits, guys that have been kicked from this club and bounced from that club because they don't do exactly what. And we've had great success with those guys as, as in a team and team environments. So yeah, maybe maybe Connacht's got a little bit of that back against the wall. We'll show you attitude, and good on them. And you can you can you use that then? Can you actually get into a people's heads and sort of say, look, um, maybe it's almost like you're saying, well, the opposition don't think you're going to be able to do this, but we can do this. We're going, is that almost the mentality? Yeah, we're, we're going to go out there now and they're going to do something they're not expecting because we have the, the skill sets and the mental belief to do it. I think that's the outcome if, you have, if you're lucky, you know, like we can, we can do that. But I think if you use that as a motivator, it's going to be a motivator that will wear thin after a while. Because eventually, if you want to make the champions that you want, they'll eventually be those champions. And then there's nowhere to pull them down to, you know what I'm saying? So, mm. so I think it's, um, yeah, it, you could use that as a motivator, but only for a short amount of time. So, so, so that would be more geared if you were getting one-off results, whereas you want a consistency that has to go forward. Yeah, we want to build a legacy here. You know, we want to leave this place as a better place than we found it, um, in all aspects. Um, so you don't want it to be that, oh, poor bugger me type attitude where that's our only motivator. Our motivator is to reach the top and then once you get to the top, is staying there. And then once you get to the top and stay there, it's keep reinventing yourself to stay on top of that. And in the skills side of things, that's, um, that's challenging the game even more and more challenging the players even further to execute things at greater pace, greater tempo, you know, 
more effectively. So, yeah, you're never finished. What's the most frustrating thing you find in skill sets with players? Um, in skill sets? Like well, in, well, just... in, in the most frustrating issue that you have in, with skills and in the player skills? Um, I think it's not too many here, but in the past it's probably been players who think this is too easy, I don't need to do it. This is, this is too easy. I can do it really well. And nearly every time I'll crack those guys somewhere. I'll come up with some way of doing it that'll crack them. But that's the most frustrating thing. You know, anyway, this is easy. This is kid stuff. Okay. Do it better then. And how has that reflected possibly on the team or even in the team selection? Presumably you have, because you have such a good relationship, we have to have with the other coaches in the team. Yeah. To convey that information to them. Oh, this is conversations. Mm. It's just simple conversations. We talk all the time about, you know, like attitude of players is quite visible. You know, like if they display it to me, it's, it's there for everybody to see. So, um, yeah, just discussions with them. You're, you're talking there about legacy. I mean, do you think you, there's a legacy here that, you, that this will continue? Because it's, it's obvious. I've watched Connacht for, for 40 years. I've watched them at amateur, professional level. I've never seen Connacht doing what they do now. Obviously, they won the Pro Trophy, but you still, the more you watch games, you see small things where you think you wouldn't have seen that before. So, is that is there a basis there for that to continue? Yeah, I think so. There's, like I said, we're trying to make it player driven, and I think any coach will always see that the potential in the players. And the boys now have a greater, uh, as Pat always puts, more tools in their toolbox. So there's more that they can show. So I, yeah, I, I can't see why the the players are here now. Have got a desire and a it's a bit of momentum, I suppose. You work with the injured players as well. Um, does that require a particular skill set from you? Is is that as much of you're dealing with physical thing that you've got to keep guys going? who might be on a long-term rehab and they're getting down because they see the lads running onto the training pitch and they're all running around doing their thing and you know they might be on crutches or have a boot on or do, is that do you enjoy that work is it to be fair it's the toughest part of my job it's the toughest part of my job and I probably in all honesty have dropped the ball on it a little bit lately <laughs> um, but yeah it is it's tough but it's rewarding as well. It's challenged me in more ways than anything else has challenged me because I've had to be quite creative because the worst thing about being an injured player was boredom. You know, like they come to the gym, they lift their weights at the gym, those that can lift whatever they can and whatever is not injured. Um, but then the rest of the day is study, learning the game, trying to keep up with what we're doing, analysing and helping the team get better. But then there's also a large portion of the game where they're just here. You know, and so being creative, and we've done all sorts of crazy things. Um, such such as, oh, we've had blinking. We've I've invented more different types of juggling than I thought I would ever invent, with blinking rugby balls and tennis balls and heavy balls and uh, it, all sort of things that. Things that you need to be able to do mobile, we've had to try and come up with ways that we could do them stationary, you know, sitting and sometimes, you know, on the floor sometimes just laying, doing things and um, trying to find something that's still relative to the game because it has to have some relevance um, and also try and make it relevant to their particular position. It's been a real challenge. But, yeah, the, but the players are open too, you know. They'll come up with ideas in the last probably a year or so, more of the players who have either been on my long injured list or have or were injured but aren't now have been so so really creative with ideas and different things that they want to do at training. It's really cool. And is, is, is that because you're open to that? Is that per, That's the whole culture you want to oh, have, yeah. is it? That you want them to come back with this idea and you want them to be thinking. Because they're think, if they're doing that, they're obviously thinking about the, in the game, even in, if it's an abstract about how, how I can do something to improve, even if I'm sitting in a chair. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're playing the game. You know, like, I'm more than willing to... If they've got a good idea, 
and it and it works and it's relevant and it's mechanically works and it doesn't affect their, their rehab or anything. I'm I'm yeah, bring it on. I'm happy for that. Um, it just adds something to me, and it hopefully adds something to them as well. What are you going to take from it, and what was the, what's the best moment? Oh, the Pro 12 final would have to be the real highlight. Uh, I take so much from it. I've taken met some wonderful people, um, which has been great. I really, even though the weather can be a bit, you know, I love Galway, um, and my wife said it is really good and. Um, experience here too, you know, so. But she hasn't had a change of heart about the weather. <laughs> she hasn't had a change of heart about the weather, but I'll tell you what, it's it, she's finding it difficult to leave as well, you know, and she was the big motivator for us mm-hmm. that, that time we moved on sort of thing, but, you know, in recent times, you, you realise how much wonderful place it is here, you know. Um, Does it, as, as a, an, you've, you've said that this, it's a learning environment, and but is it different? Is there something still different here? We always like to look for that. Locals are always looking for somebody <laughs> to say, it's different. Is there still something here that's not quite the same as what you see in other places? Or, yeah. is, or is that just something that we've created? Oh, in no, no, no. No, I think there is. I think the, the, um, the tenacity and the willingness of this particular bunch of guys to succeed and to work hard at it that's that's admirable stuff. The the supporters that have spoken, mostly to Pat, not to me because I don't know who I am, <laughs> but most of the ones that, that have spoken to us are so passionate and they, they've got a real... It's more like a love for what we do as opposed to just, I just support you, you know, because you're, they're from here. So there's something a little... I, I, I can't put a word on it. Mm. Um, I, you know, I don't know if it's magical or not or wh- whatever it might be, but it's just something that draws you to here. Like, to me, um, John Muldoon epitomises everything that we're trying to achieve here. Like, he's, he's just determined to get better. And Has it, Have you seen that change over four years? Yeah, I think it was underlying. It was always underlying. And I think... As we've allowed, and as the players have become more comfortable to express themselves, I think it's it's come through more. You know, we are, and I don't think I'm kidding anybody here by saying, we are not the rock stars of world rugby. You know, if you were to go through us and pick us apart man by man, you know, we'd be found wanting. However, when we get together and work bloody hard for each other, it's it's one of the best feelings out there. I think the boys feel it on, on in the games, just as much as as we as coaches witness it in them. You know. So when you go back to, to the Blues, yeah. the Blues would obviously have a lot more rock stars, as you put it, than yeah. than Connacht have. How do you deal with that, or what's the, what's the difference? Um, well, I've had very little experience with the Blues yet, so I'm not so sure. But again, my policy is honesty. I'll tell you if you're good. I'll tell you if you're bad. Um, and if we can just increase, if we can just gather, a, build a desire to get better, um, then then I think there's no reason why the same sort of thing can't carry through. Is your brief the same or pretty much the same? In yeah, pretty much the same, yeah. yeah. Okay. So when you look back at Connor, where does Connor, as that your coaching career, where does it fit? It's been the real good kicker that I needed. You know, I've been coaching for, yeah, 30 years, close to, and um, most of the time, kids, young people, senior teams in some backwater parts of the world sometimes, you know, to elite players and to academy level, and and I think what Connect has given me is um, a sense of, a sense of team, I think because you can move around so much, which I have, that you lose a sense of team along the way. I've had it a couple of times in other environments in my life, um, but Connect has given me a little bit more for the fact that it's a fully professional unit, that this is what we do 24-7, seven days a week. Was that, I know that you hadn't said you hadn't worked in a professional environment, mm. so was that one of the major reasons that you did want to come to Connect because you hadn't worked for a professional team before? Yeah, a little bit, because um, I was getting, 
people were saying very nice things about me and I felt a bit of a fraud because I hadn't really worked as a fully as a full pro. I worked in semi-pro type environments or or in places that worked in a very professional manner. But I needed I wanted to go somewhere where it's the coalface and and to see if my methods that I've tweaked and worked on all these years would actually work. So. So would you would you say as a, as a result of that that you have a lot to be thankful for for Connacht? As in, would you have got the job at the Auckland Blues? As in, I know if I if I wasn't here, yeah. I, but no, I probably wouldn't have. I, I don't think I would have anyhow. Um, I think because once you start to get into that level, it's experience that they're looking for. And now I've had years and years of experience. It's just what we've done here is, well, Jingo's people in New Zealand know who the hell we are. You know, I go back to New Zealand and people are actually watching our games and, you know, friends of mine out of the blue have said, oh, geez, isn't it wonderful what you're doing in Ireland? I didn't even know you knew I was there, you know? You kind of more fell into skills rather than, it was sort of a natural development more than anything, wasn't it? Yeah, kind of. Um, I was uh, initially just a coach, yeah. doing what he did, you know, and... Um, I got out of rugby for a while, just, just needed a break. So I got into developing skills and drills with um, a fellow in Australia called Barry Honan. And Bazza and I made drill packages, I guess, for want of a better word. But along the way, I met these people from all these other sports. And I thought, yeah, that's kind of cool what they do. I like that. That was kind of a different way of looking at it. Um, and I met a biomechanist by the name of John Harmer who was with the Australian cricket and just I saw different ways of seeing things and all of a sudden I got really involved in the skills side of things I saw, gee, you can apply that to rugby and this to rugby and yeah, the rest is kind of just, just mean, turned out yeah. It's quite, I mean could you envisage your life having not gone to skills coaching now in no. the sense that where would I mean you've always been a rugby since a young age since 2022 20, or whatever. Yeah. So could you ever envisage, if you hadn't have developed into that skills coaching, would you still be involved in rugby? Oh, I would be somewhere, I'd say. Um, but to be fair, um, when I broke my leg and when I was about 20, made me think things a little bit because I was off to conquer the world. Um, once that happened, I realised, uh, maybe I can't conquer the world because I'm only on one leg. Um, so I then conquered my backyard instead, you know, and kind of just stayed in a small pond and then got into coaching off the back of that. And then, because once I finished playing, I kind of went, Jesus, this is all I've ever done. Mm. You know, I've had lots of jobs and done lots of quirky things in all sorts of parts of the world, but this is really the only thing I've ever done and had a passion for. So I kind of ended up pushing myself into a corner, really, okay. and going, okay, well, I guess it's going to be rugby. Here I am. Did you... What, what are you expecting and what is the challenge do you see in Auckland Blue that's different, say, from Connacht? Expectation, I think, is probably the biggest challenge there because there's high expectation. Not so much... Oh, there's high expectation within the team, obviously, but general public, you know, they look at this team laced with All Blacks and, and, and wonderful rugby players and they're all expecting... Okay, this must be what they're going to do. They're going to sweep, sweep the Super Rugby, you know, at their feet. But so I guess dealing with that expectation and harnessing it and using it for the the right ways, as opposed to letting it absorb them. And are you expecting a, a, a rockier sort of time there, in, in the sense that when you said you come here and Connacht embraced you, and people really, really want to learn here, when you go to Auckland, which as you say, has high expectations and synonymous with winning, etc., etc., that the players are going to be as open to to learning these new skills? Yeah, I think so. Again, it's a good coaching group there, uh, one that I feel comfortable with, and the players that I have met um, have all seemed fairly willing, and these are, I suppose you call them rock stars, and they're, they're pretty willing to um, to jump in boots and all, and they're, they're fully pros and want to do a good job, so... How important is the, the, the relationship you have, say, with the, with the actual coach? You know, you, you don't have to be best buddies and you yeah. know, barbecue with each other or anything like that, but you need to have an understanding. My, my job is, whoever the head coach is, mm -hmm. I need to, if, if their vision is something that I agree with, and I agree with Tana's, um, as I did with Pat's, then 
them job done as far as I'm concerned. I'll, I'll do whatever I can to help them. Um, he'd be a lot less experienced than Pat, obviously. Yeah, possibly. Um, but he's also on the rise and, and, and he's determined to be a good coach as well. So, and he has his visions, you know, and he doesn't really know me from Adam, apart from the interview and, and the recent couple of weeks I had there. But I like his vision, I guess, and so if, you know, I think if you can share the vision, then that's half the battle. I'm not confrontational, so. It's, it strikes me, um, David, you're somebody who likes to challenge yourself. Oh, yeah, yeah. So is, is that part of the ethos of, of skills coaching? Is it, because it is a challenging environment to get people to improve. I, I often, uh, I mean, I remember old style coaches were sort of just being shouted at. Yeah. And, you know, it was all about passion and throwing things around dressing rooms and kicking doors. Yours is a much more cerebral sort of thing, but it, the players must feed off the fact that you like a challenge and you want to challenge them. Yeah, I think, you know, my job is to make myself unemployed. Really? You know, my job is to, to instill them with enough that they then take it and run. So, um, yeah, the old... Um, yeah, I think I'd look a bit silly running and, and kicking up and down and, and hitting my head against the wall. And, but the challenge is that... That's the challenge. The challenge is to, is to get them to... is to accept it and basically forget about me, really, because what becomes instinctive to them then just moulds into who they are as a player... Um, yeah. I, 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 when, I, when that moulding happens, you're almost looking for a, a peer group thing to sort of maybe pull somebody up who's either struggling to do this, the, the, the particular skill improvement or the guy who just says, well, I can already do that. So you, you almost need them to say, actually, you can't. You're... You're not as good as you think you are. Yeah, a little bit of that. The boys look up. Yeah, it's an unforgiving environment sometimes, professional sport. Um, but we've got some good characters here who who, um, who have taken on some of the attributes that we try and instill in them to, to bring the others along. So there is a peer thing. And, you know, it's, it's, it's like the, um, you know, the snake oil salesman. You know, if he can convince enough people that that snake oil is going to cure you, then then the rest is easy. They'll sell millions. <laughs> if you were to look at a graph, Dave, how much has Connacht improved from where you start, since when you started? Oh, definitely. We've definitely gone up. Um, but I think there's, there's a lot more that they can do too. The, the boys can, they can go on, for and, sure. And how would you compare that to what you're expecting, say, in, 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 in the Blues? S- similar. Similar. I think the boys... The, uh, different issues, I guess. You know, different issues. Some of these, some of the, the, some of the skills, some of the boys, <laughs> the blues could do are phenomenal. It's more so a harnessing of them and, and directing those skills into the right avenues, as opposed to, um, you know, willy nilly. So, presumably, that the basic skills here, obviously, um, wouldn't have been as say as strong as what you would have as what the Auckland Blues would be when you go back there. Obviously, you grew up in schools as, as in New Zealand does all throw a ball around. Presumably, yeah. one of the reasons why everyone was handed the ball here when they first came here, and you've learned since you were three. Not many, not many, you know, kids over here learn rugby when they're three and grow yeah. up with it. So presumably, the skill set is as much as you would expect it to be higher when you go to the Blues than what you first started here. Yes and no. Yes and no. I think in in New Zealand, for example, there's a lot more multiculturalism than we used to have before. So there's other and other things pulling people left and right, and other okay. sports and clambering it for that. And and you know, small town New Zealand, yeah, there's still our kids like me, barefoot. You get an old leather rugby ball or an old probably plastic they don't ones these days. They don't exist anymore. <laughs> so getting thrown an old ball and you just kick around the backyard because there's nothing else to do. You know, um, but a majority of New Zealanders now everything else is on offer for them. You know. My son, I can't get him outside the house because he wants to play a computer game all the time, for example, you know. So it's not as... That, 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 that gap isn't like it used to be. But the natural ability... A lot of the boys here, because they've come from um, either a Gaelic or a football background, you know, I'm watching 
doing things with a rugby ball with their feet and that that are ridiculous. You know, look, I, I, I just sit back. And John Cooney's a thinking magician, you know, <laughs> some of the stuff he does with a soccer ball or with a rugby ball, you know, with his feet. So I think it's, yeah, horses for courses. Um, and because the game's changing and there's a greater emphasis on the skill side of things, I think um, the, the people who might have a later start rush up the ladder pretty quick. Is there anything that you take will take back to Auckland that you've learnt here in Connacht? Um, oh yeah, lots. Uh, lots would be uh, confidence in my methods. I guess I'm, I'm confident that my methods work now. Um, also, uh, patience. I guess you know, I've patience. Like we didn't win that Pro Twelve in one year. That, took, that was three years in the making. That, and I think. I was always in a hurry to get things done. So I think from here I've learned that, yeah, a little bit of patience, you chip away and, and take the small victories along the way because at the end you're going you're gonna to get there. So. And you've spent, as you say, the last 30 years basically travelling on the road, whether it was in Canada, Australia, um, America. Um, going back to New Zealand... Is, is this it for Dave Ellis? Is, is, this, is this the end of the travels? Is Funny, good question. <laughs> good question I haven't got a 100% answer for yet. There are, times, there are times when you're sitting in a bus and you're going down to Swansea and you're looking out the window and the rain's pouring down and you think to yourself, my God, I'd love to be on a beach in Bali now or something along those lines, you know? And there's the times when... We're sitting in a bus coming back from a, from an away game and we've all got our laptops out and you're going nuts to try and get as much anal analysis done as you can so you can maybe sleep in for an hour in the morning and maybe go for a walk with your wife and have a coffee. And you're doing that and you're thinking, maybe I should have taken on another job. Those things fleet through your mind all the time. And then you have a game like um, the recent ones against Wasps and the euphoria just overwhelms you and you go, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else doing anything different. So um, if, it, if it's the end for me, if I have a few euphoric moments, probably not. <laughs> if it's all grind and, and, yeah, well, maybe. But I've got nothing else I can do. I don't know how to do anything else. Are you looking forward to going home? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I am, because I've got uh, family there and my, my siblings are, are getting on a bit now and I haven't had much to do with them over the years. got some great friends there that I haven't seen. But several new relatives that I've hardly ever seen. So, yeah. Nice to kind of... I suppose, when was the last time you actually lived in New Zealand for any length of time? Um, well, it wasn't that long ago. It was five years oh, you ago. Because I was, right, I was, in, I was yeah. there for a while, but that was the first time for a long time too. Yeah, so it took yeah. me ages to adjust. And mm. the thing about this job and the way I've lived it, um, it can be quite lonely at times because you kind of make a pocket of friends here and a pocket of friends there, and you know, but you never actually see them on a day-to-day -day basis or overly or regularly. Um, and with the the way the job is now, like especially the professional side of it, mm. you basically work seven days a week anyhow. You know, so there's no real days off. So there's no, it's not as if you can just pop round, catch up for the buddy and have a barbecue or something. If you do, you're all over it. You go. It's a good <laughs> challenge though, going to going to the blues for you. Oh yeah, hell of a good challenge. Yeah, um, it, it is. You know, like every kid in New Zealand rugby guy, anyhow, you always dream of. of being involved at the highest level you can get to, so it's, it's, it's a taxing job. You know, people don't realise it. It wasn't until I ran home recently, and I was with friends of mine who couldn't believe that I was. This is when I was with, doing some stuff with the Blues, for example. They couldn't believe that I was leaving at five o'clock in the morning, and I wasn't getting home till mm. six o'clock at night for six days a week. But I presume you'll be doing similar things because you'll be going over to Australia and South Africa and all sorts of things. skills coaches, I don't think, travel. Oh, do they not? Uh, okay. with the, with, in, in the blues environment. So, oh, right. uh, okay. Which I'll find that really weird because even though the travel is the thing that really makes it hard mm. and can really mm. kill you, um, it is also the time when you learn to connect with the players a bit better yeah. And, yeah. and you make your connections, you know? Yes. Um, so I'll, I'll probably struggle with that because okay. it's part of the... 
match day. There's nothing. Match day is the best thing for me as a as a yeah. as a player who loved playing um, and can no longer play. The closest thing I can get it to is when I'm running out with that water bottle on a on a Saturday. I guess because it's the crowd and the and atmosphere and everything. Even though you know you're just a nobody even notices that you're there really, but just that feeling, I think, is that's, that's why I've stayed in the game for so long. Do you think your role in, in, in Connet has been sort of like maybe much more important than maybe what your role, say, in the Blues is going to be, to, in, the, in the extent that you've had to do a lot more because we don't have the, uh, as many resources as, say, the Blues do? Um, no, I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't think so. I think, um, I think my job with the Blues will, was just... To be the same as it is here, really, be part but of the team. But you won't be running on. But you, as you say, you won't be. You won't. I might get it on home games with a oh, bit of luck. Okay, with the home games, I might get a chance to run out with a water bottle and you know, wave to my kids on TV or something. But um, yeah, so no, it'll be it'll be similar role, um, and just just being a member of the team, really. Does what does it do for you, like, to go home to New Zealand and say, like, and say, well, you know, I have I have been involved with with champions and and. In the Pro 12, oh. is it like a real sort of like, sort of like you know? Oh yeah, yeah, it is for me. Like it's huge, huge honour for me being involved with Connect and um, working with um, Pat and the crew and the players. I love the players. It's just a wonderful experience. Yeah, I'm proud as punch. Well, I'm sure you will be missed here. You certainly, sure. you certainly will. Despite the fact that, as you say, maybe a lot of people don't know who you are, but I think the people who who count know who you are, put it that way. Uh, you would have learnt in rugby, though, you know, one bus rolls out, another one rolls in. So, yeah, that's the way it is. It's yeah. just things go yeah. on. Appreciate you taking the time and your busy schedule for talking to the Craggy Rugby Podcast. Thank you very much, Dave. Too easy. Okay, that's it from us for this week. Big thanks to Dave Ellis and we wish him the best of luck on his future endeavours. He was a great servant to Connacht Rugby and we really appreciate the time he gave us for that interview. Hope you enjoyed it. Next week, normal podcast again on Tuesday. Comes to you from Cardiff. We'll be over there for the Sunday game as Cardiff take on Connacht in the Pro 12. Connacht looking to turn a corner and win at a venue that they haven't had a whole lot of success in recent years. They certainly want to make that right this time at the Arms Park. That game is live on Galway Bay FM and especially on the GalwayBayFM.ie website where there's an exclusive stream for the contest. I'll be there with Alan for the game. Do try and spread the word about that. We're at at Craggy Rugby Pod on Twitter and we'll have all the links there for you. And we're also on Facebook, Craggy Rugby Podcast. Follow us, spread the word and thanks for listening.